Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Thursday, September 8th edition of the Basement Academy. Our morning psalm, Psalm 8, has some wonderful and I think probably familiar language uh, to it. This is for the director of music, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Psalm reflecting on the glory of being human. And God made us to rule over, have dominion over the earth. Uh, we were talking about that yesterday. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. We rule on behalf of God. That's, that's the purpose of the human family, and to exercise wise and gracious uh, rule uh, over this earth. Sadly, sin disrupts that. And this is what we were talking about yesterday, the, the backstory to the story of Cain and Abel is what happened in the garden. And so chapter 3 of Genesis helps explain chapter 4 of Genesis. Okay, I said some pretty strong things yesterday. How uh, disagreements with others become um, risky because of this tendency within the human family to make judgments of others. We take to ourselves that prerogative of God to determine good and evil. We take that to ourselves, and so we judge others to be good and evil, and then we gather into moral tribes, and we denounce others, and this is what sits behind much of our you know, human history, tragic human history of warfare, but also the current reality of polarization and division, and so disagreement is always risky because of this tendency uh, to denounce others. We assume that we're right. We feel morally superior to them. Um, and that feeling of righteousness, we equate with doing righteousness. And um, so that's, that, that's yesterday. I'm pretty sure at least one of you, I haven't talked to anybody, <laughs> but I'm at least uh, sure at least one of you, probably more, have something going, yeah, but Don, there is right and wrong. There is good and evil. There is truth. There is error and falsehood. And I agree with you. <laughs> and some may be thinking that, you know, we have a responsibility, don't we? To call out, um, you know, sin and heresy and lies and errors and the like. I mean, don't we have that kind of responsibility? And I go, ah. 
hold that lightly. Um, am I advocating for relativism? That there is no absolute truth, there is no ultimate right and wrong or good and evil. Is that what I'm advocating? No, N not not at all. Um, I, I'm not suggesting that one's theological views or other kind of views, political otherwise, that they don't have consequence. I, I'm not advocating a consequence-free world, <laughs> and I'm not advocating for a world where, you know, everyone's truth is just the same as everyone's else. I do believe there is truth. I believe certainly that these words are true, uh, and there is right and wrong. Okay, so, so, so you got to hear me out. There's some tension here. Theological differences matter, moral differences matter, political differences matter. They're real. You, you, you know, when we have disagreements with others, they're often consequential differences and disagreements, right? I, I don't, I don't want to suggest otherwise. But we have to be careful about doubling down, as it were, on being right, you know, kind of pushing all of our chips into the middle and saying, I'm going to the mat. This is right. And if you don't agree with me, you know, I'm just saying we've got to be careful about that. There are some things that matter more in life than being right. There are some things that matter more in life than being right. Being right is not the most important thing. Be careful about being right, making that the most important thing. Because there's a posture of our, it's kind of an attitude or a posture that we adopt. When we insist on being right, we open ourselves up to this danger that crouches at the door. Being right at least I think biblically speaking, being right is involves more than just a correct belief. Uh, the book of James tells us that even the demons believe in God, but it says they tremble. So, And so this was that whole faith and works uh, discussion in our study of James from, from a few months ago. Just because one believes in God doesn't mean they're, they're acting rightly. There is a righteousness. Faith must meet with works. So you can't just say, oh, I believe that you know, God's going to bless you. If you're hungry, God's going to provide for you. No, go get that man a meal, right? <laughs> and so being right is more, uh, involves more than simply holding a correct belief. And so apprenticeship, so the workshop of disagreement. Okay, we're going back, you know, so last week, the, the, the workshop of disagreement uh, earlier uh, in the week. Um, this is why it's so important for us to pay attention. We have to learn from the master. We learn from Jesus. We learn from God's words. And, and so we're going to look at several scriptures here. 
being right, insisting that we're right, is fraught with danger. That's where the crouching sin at the door often sneaks in because it quickly turns to that tribalism, to that denouncing others, and 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 now all of a sudden we're taking action against another person who bears the image of God. And we might not actually have the correct belief, right? Um, there, in, in reality, there should be very few beliefs or convictions or policy matters, if we're thinking in a political context, that we would kind of die on that hill. Economic policy. You may have a particular view of economic policy. Um, immigration policy. You may have a particular view. Who's to say which is right? You know, the absolute, you know, what God wants. Be careful about holding political views, you know, with, with such um, conviction. A particular view of the end times, right? Um, position on women's ordination. You know, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, a, a particular mode of baptism, immersion versus sprinkling, etc., Christians hold all kind of views very strongly, but we have to be careful about that. When we double down on being right, we, we risk in all of that kind of cracking the door open and the sin that crouches, the danger that crouches kind of sneaks on in and it becomes the sin of self-righteousness. And so Cain when he grows up, turns into a Pharisee, okay? I'm going to try to explain that more in the, in the weeks ahead. Humility is the chief virtue. And so we, as Christian disciples, Christian apprentices, apprenticing ourselves to Jesus, there, there's a posture of humility that we need to uh, adopt and so we need to live into the truth, but we need to honor and recognize that people of good conscience and good character may differ from us and they may believe other than we do. And just because they hold a different theological, political, uh, cultural, social view, we have to be careful not to, to judge them. Okay, so, so it, there's some tension here. I'm not saying that, that our views don't matter, but what I'm saying is we have to be careful how we hold our views. I want, I want to read several scriptures here, okay? Uh, I wrote them in order. I'm not going to read them in the order that I, I wrote them, but I want to start with 1 Corinthians 13, which begins with Paul writing about the more excellent way. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. 
It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I'm going to stop the reading there. The most excellent way is the way of love. And, and Paul brings some things into play. You, you can speak with those angelic tongues. You can have the most intimate prayer conversation with God and, and, and you're speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. You can have all these angelic ecstasies. But if you don't have love, that matters nothing. You can have faith that move mountains. You can have all knowledge. You can prophesy. That is, you know, speaking the word of God. You, you can give everything that you possess and deliver your body to the flames. But if you don't have love, none of that matters. So there are some things that matter more than our beliefs and convictions in this, this call to love. And so there's a patience, there's a kindness, there's a tenderness, there's a way of being with others that, that, that love, that characterizes love. And so angry disagreements, harsh disagreements, rude speaking to others is not love. Okay, so, so I, I start uh, with, with that one. Uh, Mark chapter 8, uh, Jesus uh, is speaking to uh, the crowd along with his disciples. And he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And that's Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. What profit is it? What does it profit a man to, you know, win the election, support the right candidate, um, you know, win the theological argument? And, and destroy another person, <laughs> to, 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 to destroy a relationship, to ruin a person's reputation by calling them, you know, heretic or, or things like that. And, and trust me, I'm aware of church history and the heresy trials and all of that stuff. People literally were burned at the stake for their beliefs. And so that's uh, Mark uh, chapter uh, 8. And then uh, Matthew, we've, we've studied Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus, this is the words of Jesus now, Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore. Be complete, whole, teleos. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, who has a way of relating to both righteous and unrighteous, causes the sun to shine, the rain to fall, causes a, a sunset to be enjoyed by the righteous and the wicked alike. Even the wicked can enjoy a good meal. Even the wicked can enjoy uh, children and laughter and enjoy the blessedness of family. God is benevolent to all. 
So let's be the same. Be perfect, be whole, be complete, be like your Father in heaven. Love your enemy. So in our beliefs, right? You know, I'm, I'm pointing up here to the board, but, but in our beliefs, and we double down and we start to call them the enemy and call them a heretic and call them the devil or whatever. <laughs> Ooh, we're, we're doing something other than what God does. Hmm. So I want to kind of lift that, lift that up. Um, James uh, chapter, uh, was it James chapter three? I think it is. I just lost my little page. There it is. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from above from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And so we studied this some weeks ago in our James study. And so apprentices of Jesus seek such a wisdom that doesn't divide, but seeks to be considerate, submissive. It listens well, it, it seeks peace. So as we wrestle through disagreements, the apprentice of Jesus, this workshop of disagreement, we behave differently, okay? And so, so we've got these scriptures that are speaking of a different way, uh, a, a most excellent way. And then let me, let me close uh, today with Philippians chapter two. Uh, here we we read uh, uh, some words of Paul, and then he he shares what what many believe to be an early Christian hymn. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. So there's humility again, right? Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, here, here we go. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have the same attitude in yourselves as Christ Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That's the key phrase. Though he was equal and is equal with God, Jesus emptied himself of that. 
So we have to be careful not to grasp after equality with God. I believe there's a veiled reference to what happened in the garden. Grasping after that fruit that tempted, that seduced Adam and Eve into thinking they could be gods. They would be equal with God, determining right and wrong. And so when we double down on being right, and we are so convinced, and we denounce others, and we judge others, and we call them names, and we, you know, do all kinds of things, we run the risk of that proud, lifted up heart, I'm equal with God, I can judge them, I can tell them a thing or two. That's the danger that crouches at the door, that we grasp after something that is not ours. We are not equal with God. And so, uh, this study, <laughs> we're going to you know, keep pressing on, but, but I, I realize these are a couple heavy days where I'm speaking with some pretty strong language. Yeah, but there is truth. I'm not saying there isn't truth. I'm not saying there isn't right and wrong. What I'm saying is, we need to be careful not to assume we have it all figured out. That's equality with God. Let us not grasp after equality with God. Now, we've got several weeks. I'm going to tease a number of thoughts out, but this is so very important. Um, yeah, I'm just, maybe I'll just stop it there. <laughs> and so 1 Corinthians 13, Mark chapter 8, Philippians 2, Matthew chapter 5, James chapter 3, some scriptures that I invite you to read and consider how they point us in a direction so that in the workshop of disagreement as apprentices yoked to Jesus, we behave differently, okay? So we'll close here and then we'll, we'll finish out the week tomorrow, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy revealed in Jesus Christ. And thank you, Father, that Jesus emptied himself and became a servant on the cross and served us and served your purposes through his sacrificial atoning death. Lord, forgive us when we grasp after equality with you, when we want to judge others because they don't agree with the view that we hold. Lord, cultivate a, a deep and abiding humility and wisdom and kindness and love within us, we pray. Through Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God bless you this day with a wise and humble heart and a heart that delights to serve Jesus by loving your neighbor and even your enemies. Amen.